Dear listener, before we start today's episode, I want to tell you about a resource I've created, which I want to share with you for free. I'll tell you what it is and how to get it. If you're not already writing tests for your Rails code, you're probably aware that testing can help you ship your work faster and with fewer defects. Because testing is such an in-demand skill, but since so few developers know how to do it properly, I've created a resource for you called the Beginner's Guide to Rails Testing. This guide is a short, downloadable book which answers the most common Rails testing questions that beginners tend to have, including which testing framework should I use, RSpec or Minitest? What level of test coverage should I shoot for? What are the different kinds of Rails tests? What are all the Rails testing tools and how do I use them? My guide covers these questions and several others. To get the beginner's guide to Rails testing, go to railstestingguide.com. Now on to the episode. Today I'm here with Stephanie Brazil, co-creator of HexDevs. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for the invite. I'm super happy to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Um, and I'm sure people say stuff like this a lot, but I'm envious of you because your last name matches the country that you're from. And I, I wish that I had a name like that. It would be cool if my name was Jason America, but it's not. Do people bring that up a lot when they meet you? Yes. Uh, actually, at first, people thought that I made up that name. Like, I'm Stephanie, I'm from Brazil, and I want to let you know that right away. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and that only became something more clear, like that confusion to me, when people started saying that for me. And I was like, no, no, that's actually my name. And then I started saying, all right, yeah, this is actually my name, uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. Did you ever have that confusion in Brazil, or is that only when you went outside of Brazil? Yeah, in Brazil as well, and also in Brazil, my name, Stephanie, it, it can be written in, I don't know, more than 20 ways, so it was always a mess <laughs> in here as well, because it's... Uh, you can also write Stephanie in several ways, but I honestly, I don't care that much anymore. <laughs> I'm like, I, I understand you're talking to me. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, wait, I can't overlook this detail. There's more than 20 ways to write your name. What do you mean? Do you mean that there's just like a bunch of different ways to spell Stephanie, more than one way to spell Brazil, that kind of thing? Yeah, mostly the Stephanie. Like you can put lots of H, uh, lots of PH, in you can finish with n i e or n n i n e that's so many ways so oh yeah <laughs> so yeah that reminds me um so okay were you ever on myspace back in the day i didn't use myspace because at the time that 
we got internet at home. Like MySpace was already kind of dying, uh, but I, I'm aware with MySpace. Okay. Yeah, I started college in 2002 and people didn't really use Facebook yet. MySpace was the thing. Um, and I had long hair back then. And for a brief time, I changed. I, t- I took this picture of myself where I, I kind of could pass for a girl and I changed my MySpace name to Stephanie. And so when people saw my picture, like I was in my friend's top eight and they would see Stephanie in there and they're like, who's this person? Um, so for a brief period, Stephanie, you and me had the same name, although not spelled the same way. Um, okay. So I want to talk about a couple things. First of all, I introduced you as co-creator of Hexdevs. I actually don't know what that is. What is Hexdevs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Hexdevs is a company that I started with my partner, Tiago. We, we actually always wanted to make developers happy. We wanted the name to be Happy Devs, but the domain was already bought. (laughs) And the idea was always to find a way to help developers that were, that had the same mindset that us, which is, you know, you feel proud of your work, you get value from what you build, like that, there are lots of mindsets that developers have. And the ones that we want to attract is, I know that I'm building valued work for people. Like I'm, I'm not just here filing tickets, you know, moving tickets around. I actually get to see the, the change it's making on someone else's life, lives, um, I understand the responsibility that I have as a re- developer that writes code for for the internet. <laughs> and also, we want to attract people that want to be around people, other developers that are kind and respectful to each other. We really believe that there is no one that knows everything. And you know that you can learn a lot by helping other people. And we want to kind of facilitate that for for developers. And so recently we started doing some live streams where we are contributing to Ruby on Rails. We also started as a podcast, but we haven't been recording that much lately. And yeah, we are, we are having some expert guests that are being really, really cool, like people have been enjoying. And that just makes me really happy because especially when I was in Brazil, having these opportunities was something really far away from me. And I want to make that easier for people. Um, Yeah, so that's Hex Devs in a nutshell. (laughs) I see. And that seems like a really good set of values. A lot of that I can certainly identify with and agree with and all that. at first, I'm like, is Hexdevs like a development agency or what? It sounds like it's more of like an online community. Is is that what it is? So we are still figuring out exactly what it is. At the time, at this time, we are making sure we are attracting the right kind of developers and that we are helping them. And then maybe later we can talk more how we are helping them 
because you you mentioned earlier about 3500 that's how um and so what we want is to build products and they could be workshops or trainings something similar that what you do by the way that i admire a lot and yeah so more like those exercises and tools that can help developers become better at their jobs but mostly become happy get happy at the end of the day yeah well also thanks for the kind words i appreciate that um, I think I'm kind of getting the picture. And since you mentioned the word 30 by 500, let's maybe talk about that just a little bit because if somebody's not familiar with 30 by 500, they uh, they won't know what that is. And I guess like Amy famously regrets naming 30 by 500 30 by 500 because it's such a like mouthful of a name to say. But anyway, um, 30 by 500 for anybody who doesn't know is like basically it's an entrepreneurship course i enrolled in it in starting in early 2018 after hearing about it for for years i finally joined when did you join 30 by 500 stephanie and what led up to you deciding to join yeah that's a great question and just to join the ride i actually also first heard about stacking the bricks um which is the the company behind 30 by 500 because they they also sell other products in Brazil. And yeah, even in Bra- especially in Brazil, it was almost, it was always something way, way far because it's a bit, well, it, the price is a bit higher than most courses. But now that I'm in there, I'm like, this is, this val- the value of this course is way more <laughs> than, than what I paid. Uh, yeah, but to answer your, your question, I first heard about it in Brazil. I don't remember how. And I just started reading the the newsletter, which is great. Like, just the newsletter is really great. And I really decided to join because it was the solution that mostly aligned with me, which was we, we part from helping people in the first place and it's never about what i want what i what i want to build it's more how i can help people with what i have with what i know and that was the reason why i decided to join and also because i already knew some people that had done it before and you know, I just started painting the picture. Well, am I going to do it? <laughs> and I finally made the decision in January this year. And yeah, I have been working through the course and doing some some stuff and working on hex devs. But hex devs is mostly has has been through some changes since I joined 30 by 500 because it helped me see some things that I just couldn't see. Got it. By the way, I really, okay, so I saw when you joined 30 by 500 and then I noticed that you were like writing blog posts and stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, here's somebody who's actually doing stuff. Because honestly, most people, most people who join any course or anything like that, 99% of them don't do anything. Or 90%, 90, you know, whatever. 
the vast majority of people don't do anything. And for somebody like me, you know, you've seen in the, I share in the chat my activities and stuff like that. Uh, for whatever reason, I, I always want to share what I'm doing. Um, uh, so you know that I have been writing blog posts and, of course, doing this podcast and stuff like that. And it's really lonely if I don't have anybody else to talk to who's doing the same stuff. So when I saw you actually doing stuff, I'm like, hey, awesome. Here's somebody who's who's actually doing stuff, one of the rare few who, who puts in the work. Um, so that maybe leads me to my next question of like, how did you figure out what to start with when you were when you were I well let me ask this. What's the very first thing you ever did? Uh you know, was it a was it a blog post? They use the term e-bomb in 30 by 500 educational bomb or whatever. So was it a blog post? Was it some other format and how did you pick what that first thing was going to be that you did? All right. So the first thing that I did I actually think it wasn't an e-bomb, it was a decision, which looking back, it has saved me so much time and frustration, let's say. <laughs> when I joined 30 by 500, I, I was a little bit burned out. Um, I, I don't know if I, I don't think I have spoke, spoken about this before but I I neglected some of my mental health issues in the past you know some anxiety and even some depression because when you you get exposed to that too much it's kind of natural to develop depression as well and this year I decided to just take some time off um, from from everything and because of that I kind of I didn't want to work with development at all and part of it, I think it's because I was kind of burned out and I didn't know if, if it was because of the profession only. I don't think it is actually. It's mostly because of the mental health issues. And so the first thing that I did was to make a decision to go with Ruby developers. And Alex helped me with that. Like I sent him an email. Hey, I know that you're saying this in the first lesson that I should go with an audience that I understand, that I already have experience with, and I can help people. And then he he helped me see that, okay, if I wanted to do something else, it would work. It would just take more time and more, more work. And... I'm so happy that I followed Alex's advice because I couldn't be more happier than helping Ruby developers right now. And yeah, so that would be my first thing that I did, make the decision to trust the process and, and just do it and choose the audience that I belong, I participate, and I care about. Yeah, I can share a little bit of my story too because it's a little bit has has some similarities. Um, I, like I said, joined in early 2018. I had been starting, I had been trying to start some kind of online business since about 2008. So ten years into my entrepreneurial journey, or whatever you want to call it, um, I had had some some attempts. For example, I have this uh, hair salon scheduling software that I've talked about on the show before, 
which was I remember like one time Amy Hoy. So you mentioned Alex earlier. Amy and Alex are like the two people who run Thirty by Five Hundred. Um, Amy had tweeted something about like, "Hey developers, stop trying to make software for hair salons and laundromats and blah blah blah. They're not gonna want to. They're not gonna use your software. They don't want to use software. Don't waste your time." Um, and I'm like, oh shit, because I was doing exactly that at the time. And I continued doing it after it, I spent like five years on that particular thing. Anyway, there was that, there were some other even worse ideas like this website where you can announce your lunch plans for the day. So you could kind of coordinate your lunch plans with coworkers, which was like kind of a good idea, but like not maybe a great business idea, especially not a great business idea for me. Anyway, I cycled through like 10 years of entrepreneurial attempts, and this was 10 years steadily. I was always working on something over that 10 years, and finally I was like, you know what? I give up. I'm finally going to join 30 by 500. I'll just do whatever they tell me to do. So I joined, and you know, I think I heard Amy say in their Stacking the Bricks podcast, like, we tell people not to be creative at all with what they choose. If you're a Ruby developer, then congratulations, your audience is Ruby developers. And so I'm like, great. Again, like I've I've proven that I'm not some kind of business genius. In fact, I've proven that I'm a business dunce. And so I'll just do whatever you tell me to do. So my audience was Ruby developers. I started using their Safari process where you go on forums and such and, and try to uncover pains that people have. I discovered that people were having pains around automated testing, and so I started writing e-bombs, as we say, around automated testing. And I went back at one point and looked at my very first e-bomb, and I was struck, and this was years later, I was struck by how terrible my post was. It was so short, it didn't really explain anything. It was so bad, I've improved since then. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I... I arrived at that stuff and by the way you mentioned like mental health and stuff like that i think like the whole like pretty much everybody is like going through some shit right now you know because like the whole world is nuts all this stuff has happened i've been like i've i've gone through some weird stretches myself recently like there have been a couple months recently i just like couldn't think of a single blog post idea like not a single idea and I made some attempts and I like would write a couple paragraphs and be like this this is, is stupid this sucks and then I would just trash it and finally I've started being able to come back from that a little bit but yeah the world is totally crazy right now and I think everybody should maybe set their expectations for for themselves accordingly and and all that anyway let's see okay so you joined 30 by 500 in the beginning of uh 2021 and then you've done some interesting stuff since then you've written some blog posts you also i think i saw you did you speak at a conference am i remembering that right you did some kind of speaking right so i have done a couple mostly lightning talks i gave one at rubicon of sao paulo in 2016 i was just talking about my experience as a self-taught developer and by the way the rails community in brazil is huge and great i that's a really it's something that i miss <laughs> and 
yeah, I have also been participating in the local Ruby meetup, Sovan Ruby. And the latest one was on WNB.RB, which is Jamas and Emily's women, female, binary group. And yeah, and but I, I will be also talking at RubyConf this year. And I'm super excited about it. Yeah, what is your what is your talk title? So it's called Perceptual Learning equals more Ruby experts developers. And the the inspiration from that talk actually also came from 30 by 500, of course. <laughs> but it was from the book Badass, which is one of the recommended books. And I don't understand why it took me so long to read that book. Badass by Kathy Sierra, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, but it completely changed my mind. And I got super obsessed about this research that she brings in the book called Perceptual Learning. And I started kind of reading some stuff about it. Although there isn't specific research on using perceptual learning modules. I will explain in a bit. So there, there isn't any research using perceptual learning modules in programming. There are a few and they are growing in teaching mathematics, like really, really hard concepts that almost everyone struggles with due to the limitations of instructional education process. And so the it's so perceptual learning is I don't know if you want to <laughs> go in there right yeah, now, but yeah. I, no, I, I, I was curious when you first said perceptual learning, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. So it I I have been reading a lot. Let me try to summarize. It's a field of research that kind of started in the sixties. It was kind of a revolutionary, then it died for a little a little bit, and now it's coming back. It's a mix of cognitive science, computer science, psychology, education. And what it teaches is there are some components of learning by perception that we are only now discovering due, you know, to technology and also software. And of course, we are also learning more about how our brains work. The... The hallmark of perceptual learning is that not only beginners can develop expertise faster and more accurate, but also experienced professionals can improve what they already know. And what they do is you design some programs to help students identify the patterns so, for example, when you are a developer and usually it takes you lo lots of time and experience to identify some things like, oh, okay, when you f it's like when you finally click, like things click for you. So you start seeing things that weren't there. And these things that you can see are what differentiate novices from experts. And not only is this process of discovering what matters and disregarding what doesn't matter, but also the process of fluency. You pick up things faster and it requires less 
cognitive load. And for example, a practical example of this is when you are just, you know, the first thing you see a Rails app, right? You have all the folders, controllers, models, and views. And let's say that you want to just build a tiny little app. You don't know what goes in the view. You don't know what goes in the controller. And if it is not in, in the tutorial or in the resource that you are following, you don't know how to do. And then you go on places that are irrelevant, but you don't know that. And it takes you a long time to just build something really tiny. Uh, and so that's because you don't have this structure recognition. You don't know what matters, what not. And that's why also when you are learning something new, it takes you lots of time and energy. That's why you feel so tired at the end because you're basically trying to grasp everything. And so perceptual learning modules is a, is a field of research that helps you with identifying those processes faster and without requiring you, you know, years of experience. The, the research on mathematics teaching is really, really promising. And I for, for the talk, what I'm doing is I'm picking up the patterns from the papers. And then this is my last goal, which is what I'm working on, kind of extract what is useful for programming. And that's what the talk will be about. And yeah, I just became really obsessed with this, mainly because... I actually went for college for literature and I had to give some classes to to get my degree and I was so disappointed and it just felt completely out of, out of reality the way that education is still done in most uh, scenarios and I was really disappointed with teaching in general. But once I learned about perceptual learning, first I understood why I struggled a lot in school, why I struggled a lot learning how to code as well. And whatever I learned from my experience and from this research, I want to make it easier for people because even though there are so many options today to learn, let's say just Ruby, I just want to learn Ruby. It's, it's still hard because there are so many options and you don't have a structure or you don't have a roadmap. So you can, you can spend like years just learning Ruby but not actually getting there. And so that's where I want to come in with this talk. And it's also our differential for HexDevs. Like we are slowly incorporating some of these things that I'm learning in there. But it's still pretty how can I say yeah we're just getting started and yeah but I, I could talk about it for hours sorry about that <laughs> oh no need to apologize that's uh I, I wanted to know more about it um okay so now that you kind of explain percept perceptual learning am I getting the name of the thing right okay yeah. what's what's your whole talk title again now that I understand that a little bit <laughs> yeah, great question. So it's perceptual learning equals more Ruby experts. Uh, okay. Okay. So when you said it the first time, 
I was not equipped to actually understand it. But now it seems like what that means is if if more developers practice perceptual learning, then we'll end up with more Ruby experts. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, yeah. Although, like, you don't practice perceptual learning, uh, it's more, it's more, let's say, a difference in the way that you teach. So, for I can give you a, an example. In in mathematics, in, in school, you get an equation and you have to give an answer, like, right? So, what is the value of x? But in, in perceptual learning, uh, a module and then the technique. That, that uses perceptual learning is called perceptual learning modules. They give you some short speeded trials where they don't ask you the answer. They ask you to give what is the next step to solve this equation. And, or is this equation similar to this other one? And then your brain starts picking up what matters without no one telling, telling you what it is. And the beauty of it is the effects are, they last way after the tests are done. So for example, there is one perceptual learning module that we're teaching algebraic, I don't know how to say that in English, I think that's correct. Algebraic? algebraic. Oh, okay. Thank you. Transformations. And they tested the, the kids four to five months after they were trained. And they retained the knowledge from from the practice, and that's really good because, and I think that's a that is applied to programming as well. For example, if you will learn, I don't know, maybe how to write a function, but you don't know how to write a, a variable, like you have to review everything, right? So you're always coming back. Although it's not necessarily bad that you're always going back, like. Even if you already know things, you can always improve. But if if you don't know, you will get it, it will get harder for you to know how to write a function if you don't know how to pass, you know, how to handle the variables, or you know what happens if you pass a variable with this name and then inside you have a variable with the same name, things like that. Okay, yeah, I'm starting to kind of get the picture. Um, what would you say, Stephanie, if somebody said to you, okay, this perceptual learning thing sounds maybe okay, but I'm pretty smart, so I don't need that, so I'm going to skip that talk. What would be your pitch to them for why they should be interested in your talk? Oh, that's a good one. It sounds like maybe the idea is that you can just learn a lot more faster and become more effective mm-hmm. and, and all that. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, it is. And yeah, because it's based on some research on how we learn in the first place, like and how our brains work. So um, I don't know if I think either you you say that you don't want to learn a new way to learn is either because you are okay with how things are for you or you don't think you need it uh, because you are already an expert. I don't know. (laughs) I think in both scenarios, 
I, I won't convince anyone. <laughs> if, if things are okay for you the way it is, then yeah, keep doing it. Don't change what is working. But if you're curious about things that you can improve as a professional and even as a person, because you can apply to other things as well, then yeah, come to, to the talk that it will be cool. I am making, I'm putting lots of effort into making sure to get lots of data from my safari, you know, and things also from my experience. And yeah, so if you only come to see the talk, if you're curious and open-minded, otherwise I don't like convincing anyone to change. Like you have to be in lots of pain to change and that that needs to come from you. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily I think there are a lot of developers in great pain because they feel like where they are right now and where they need and want to be, there's just a great gulf between those two things. Um, well, cool. I hope that I can um, come see your, your talk. I, you know, it's funny. I've gone to not a lot of conferences. I went on this crazy spree a couple of years ago where I spoke at a large number of conferences in a short period of time. And I discovered that I'm not really capable of watching other people's talks. Like I would go and give my talk and I would be like exhausted because, you know, I'm, uh, you know how it goes. You're like scrambling to maybe even if you're not like scrambling to get the talk completely finished before it's live. It's just like it's hard to relax before you give the talk. And then after the talk, you're just like drained. And so I would have like no capacity for really anything before my talk. Then after it, I would just want to like go back to my hotel room and just like sit and stare at the wall for a couple hours or take a nap or whatever or just you know hang out in the hall and meet people and talk to people i've had little uh tolerance for sitting and but it's also i i can't sit and watch like a whole movie or even a tv show i just like am uh i have like problems in my brain or something but anyway i'm gonna make an effort to come to your talk and and stay for your talk even though it uh even though I'm not a conference talk kind of person, because I'm genuinely interested in in that topic. By the way, RubyConf, this is going to be really interesting because I don't know about you, but I'm going to get to meet a lot of people for the first time who I've never met before. I've only interacted with online, like you. You and I will get to meet because uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm I'm speaking at RubyConf also. Um, so you and me will get to meet. Uh, I'll get to meet. Well, no need to name the names of the people I'm going to meet, but I'll, I'll get to meet a lot of people and old friends from conferences in the past. I'll get to see them again. So, that'll. When's when's the last time, Stephanie, that you've been to an actual in-person conference? Yeah. So actually, I won't be there in person. Oh, you're doing <laughs> <Sorry>. what? <laughs> well, it's because I don't. Uh, so I never actually made an effort to go to the U.S. I have this, I don't know, this misconception that not a lot of people like immigrants. So I know that's not the case for Ruby developers. Okay, I'm not saying that, but I'm just justifi- justifying why I never got a tourist visa. So basically, I would need to make magic to get a tourist visa in just a couple of months. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. But well, I, I will think... make. Uh, 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 yes, yeah, so, but sorry. Let, ne- next year, uh, 
I hope I will be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I would like to personally invite you to America, um, and I think you'd be pleasantly surprised uh, because I, I, I think if that's the impression that you got about the U.S., that makes me very sad uh, that that's the portrayal, and I think it's really not reality. So uh, hopefully you can come here soon, and again, I think you'll – You'll be pleasantly surprised. People won't shout at you on the street to go back to Brazil or, or whatever. Um, and by the way, I wanted to ask you about uh, your your travels and your, your career and stuff like that. So you started obviously in Brazil. Where in Brazil are you from? What city? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm actually from a state called Maranhão. It's in the northeast of Brazil. Usually people know Amazon or Fortaleza. They are more known cities in the north of Brazil. So where I'm from is kind of in the middle. Wait, there's a city called Amazon? Oh, no, sorry. The, where the Amazon is, like we have the okay, estate. Okay, you just mean, okay, got it. Yeah. So I'm from Maranhão, from a very small city called Barra do Corda. <laughs> and... Yeah, so it's a very small city in a very, uh, I don't want to say poor, but could be a better state with all the politics, problems, you know, it, it has lots of opportunities to grow. I think it's growing more now, and I'm happy with that. Wait, and but, when you say small city, like how small, like population-wise? Oh, <laughs> I think it's less than 200,000, but considering the the size of Brazil, that's a small city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's always funny when I talk to people from other countries, especially India. Um, <laughs> I've talked to people from India and they're like, yeah, I come from this small town. It's only like 2 million people. It's so, so small. Um, whereas I grew up, in a town of, I don't know, 5,000 or 7,000 or so people. And then currently I live in a village of 500 people, not 500,000, but just 500 people, um, which is, you know, on the outskirts of a city that's like maybe 200,000 people. So mm -hmm. so medium size, medium small city by U.S. standards. Um Okay, so you lived there, and then when did you, um, how, how old were you when you first moved away? Did you move somewhere else in Brazil, or did you move to Canada straight from there, or, or where'd you go? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when I finished school, I went to study in the capital. By the way, I'm the first one in my family to ever do that, have access to education, and moved to the capital to study. So I went to study literature, Portuguese and French. I actually, since I was a kid, I always wanted to play with mathematics and science and stuff, but I didn't know anyone that did any of these things when I was growing up. And that influenced me going to the next, the other next thing that I loved, which was reading. And then when I was in the second year, I guess, of college, I got a scholarship to study in Portugal for two years. 
and then I come back. Came back to to Maranhão. I finished college, and then I moved to São Paulo, and that's where I kind of get got started with transitioning to to tech. And the reason why I mentioned before that the Ruby and Ruby on Rails community in Brazil is is so. I appreciate it so much is because they were crucial for me when I was getting started. I was new in the city. I was new in the field. So I, right away, I started going to the Rails Girls workshops, which is like a two-day workshop. And yeah, I even got back to computer science there. But I, I only finished like the first year because then my husband got a job here in Vancouver and then here we are. <laughs> got it. Okay, wait, when did you move to, to Vancouver? How long ago? So we moved in January 2018. Oh, okay. Um, and okay, so this is an off-topic question a little bit, but you mentioned that you went to school for, you studied literature in school, including French. And I know like the French part of Canada is mainly in the East, right? Like Montreal and stuff. But are there a lot a lot of French speakers still in uh, Vancouver? Is that the case? No. <laughs> no. I only hear some tourists here and there. But no, no. I still want to visit Montreal, though. I think it would be really nice. <laughs> yeah, that's on my list, too. I, I, I came really close to Montreal recently. Not that close, but closer than I've ever been. Me and my family drove to Maine and then we went to upstate New York, like really close to the Canadian border. So we we're close enough to see signs for Montreal, but we didn't go. It's it's on the list. Um, do you encounter other Portuguese speaker in Vancouver? It must be a very international city. Yeah. Some days I hear so many Brazilians speaking that I kind of forget that I'm in Canada. Oh, really? Yeah. Lots of lots of Brazilians moving here. I'm sure to other provinces as well. But I, I hear Brazilians speaking all the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> and are there a lot of Brazilian restaurants in Vancouver? I haven't been there because I I changed my diet. Like I, I became vegan and the Brazilian cuisine is not vegan friendly that much. But I do know that there are two very good restaurants here in Vancouver. Oh, okay. Yeah, the closest I've gotten to... Brazilian food is the the old uh, Brazilian steakhouse buffet type thing. What's that one big? There's like a big chain of Brazilian steakhouses. I forget what it's called. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that that is just like a caricature of actual Brazilian food. But man, I went with this guy once. It was at a conference, and the you know the way those those steakhouses work, as I'm sure you know, is you just you sit there. And the guys come around with their, um, what do you call it? Like the the sticks, not stick. What's the word? I don't know. I'll, I'll say I don't know <laughs> it's a skewer. I think that's the word I'm looking for. A skewer of meat. And they're like, "Hey, you want some of this?" And you're like, "Okay." And then they take their big knives and they saw off some of this meat for you. And then you're like, "Whoa, that's good." And then you like barely start eating that and another guy comes with another skewer of meat and you're just like inundated with all this meat and i was with this guy there and i would like 
the guy would come and I'd be like, okay, no thanks. I have like a bunch of meat already. But every single time he was like, oh yeah, give me some more. And he was not like a big guy. He was like this skinny guy. He was like, oh yeah, give me. I was, I, I could not believe how much meat this guy could eat. And there's this other <laughs> yeah. thing. It was, uh, there was this thing at the buffet. I didn't know what it was. Heart of Palm, I guess it was. Oh. Is that something people eat in Brazil? Man, Brazilian cuisine is really creative. Like really, really creative. It's it's possible, but maybe I got lost in translation. Because mm. I know the terms in Portuguese, but not not always they are translated in the way that I recognize. So oh, what yeah. what how is it? Oh, I don't know. This might have to just remain a mystery. It was like a white thing. That's all I can remember about it. Is there anything in Brazil that's a white thing? <laughs> well, we do have some, like, palmito from, from palm trees. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, maybe that's that- it. I don't know. I'm, I just <laughs> I saw the thing. I had never encountered it before. Anyway, let's see. To, to try to get back on the path we were talking about. You were in Brazil, then you went over to Portugal, then back to Brazil, then to, to Vancouver. And you said that, you, okay, so you're like working as a programmer and then you kind of took a break. Did you just like take a break, like not even working at a programming job for a bit? And are you still on the break now? Or are you back working somewhere or where are you at? Yeah, I I actually took on... Um, how can I say? Yeah, I don't have a a date where this will end. Hopefully, you won't, because I want things. I'm working really hard for hex devs to, you know, be my my main way of making a living. But I'm not working for anyone uh, at all. I really just took some time off, and I. And the reason why I I did this is because I I don't know if you have ever heard about the fire movement, like, you know, you save a bunch of money and one oh, day yeah. you you just live from the returns of the investments. And my husband and I, we were in this. But then eventually I got a bit tired and I just wanted to relax a little bit. So I'm just kind of reaping the the seeds that I, I saw. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, yeah, what yeah. the reaping yeah. the seeds that you had sown? Um, yeah, the financially independent retired early thing. I, I got into that a little bit myself, but my wife was totally not into it, and I understand never will be. So we're not going to go down that path. To to my sadness, um, but that's just something I'll have to accept, I guess. Um, yeah, okay. That that's always good to. Obviously, it's good to have some savings and stuff like that, at least. So if you want to take a break, you can. There's one other thing that I have to ask you about. I see behind you what I think is a Jefferson Airplane poster. And then next to that, is that a Pink Floyd poster? Yeah. Oh, and then (laughs) I couldn't see it before, but then you moved and there's a Tool poster. Is that right? Yeah. But these are actually from my husband's. Like, I do love Pink Floyd, but the other ones are from my husband's, so I have to give him credit. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, okay, we'll have to do another episode with your husband where we talk about Pink Floyd and Tool and Jefferson Airplane. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we're getting close to, to time. Anything else that we should touch on before we go? Mm. Well, 
I'm just, you know, really happy to to be here. I really admire your work. And yeah, maybe, I don't know if anyone resonated with any of the stuff that we discussed here. I'm really happy to chat more and maybe have you as one of our expert guests on HexDevs. That would be great. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, that it would be really great. I think bringing people together is is great. And I also like to make this opportunities because I remember when I was in, in Brazil, you know, that's what I, I dreamed of. And just having access to experts was something really far away. And yeah, so that would be really great to have you. I hope this was a an interesting chat to your listeners and absolutely yeah, thanks for thanks for the opportunity yeah yeah i appreciate you being here and and sharing your story and and your knowledge and stuff like that um okay so a couple important things to touch on dear listener um if you're listening to this before rubyconf 2021 uh Tickets are on sale now for RubyConf, so you can go check that out. Obviously, you can. How does it work? Can people attend in person, or they can like virtually? I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So yeah, you can participate that way. Keep an eye out for Stephanie's talk, and obviously, if you're hearing this, dear listener, after uh, after RubyConf 2021, you can still catch the video after it goes online. I assume, of course. Um, and then hex devs, where can people go to to find hex devs? At hexdevs.com, h e x devs.com. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned about the domain. It's always great to be able to have an actual <laughs> .com these days are all taken. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, well, yeah, go check out Stephanie's talk and check out hex devs and any other things online people should should check out Stephanie. Oh, we we do these live streams every Thursday, almost every Thursday, where we contribute to open source project projects. Right now, we are contributing to Rails, but eventually, we also have some expert sessions. We are partnering partnering up with Shopify, and the next one is next Thursday with Aaron Patterson, Tenderlove. So it will be really, really great. I hope people can join. Yeah, awesome. We'll we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. And Stephanie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was an honor. <laughs> <laughs>